0: For although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom all things and for whom uh, we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. However, not all possess this knowledge, but some, through former association with idols, eat food as really offered to an idol. the brother for whom Christ died. Thus, sinning against your brothers and wounding their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food makes my brother stumble, I will never eat meat, lest I make my brother stumble. And then Mark chapter 1, where we've been, starting at verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed. So they questioned among themselves, saying, Who is this? What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Let me pray one more time. Lord God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its life and vitality. We need life and vitality. We pray that you would speak to us by this word, that you'd open us up, that we would hear your voice, we would attend to it, and we would draw warmth from the very heat of your presence. Fill us up, Lord Jesus, with your word. Amen. Amen. We, uh, when we, we look at uh, lectionary reading like this, <clears throat> as, as so much of the church does, um, you have an Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a Gospel reading, uh, and you do this. Churches who sit in the lectionary do this all the time. So you're hearing, hopefully, the, the whole testimony of Scripture, and um, sometimes you don't see how the pieces connect. And sometimes it, may, it seems like it was made to be read together. Like these passages are meant to go together. Uh, and so the, the discipline becomes on a Sunday morning and also what carries over into our lives is to incline our ear to the God of the Scriptures and say just because they're different books, different people, different times does not mean that they don't speak with one voice but that we should listen to what God is saying. And That kind of assumption is what is in these passages. Is that God is speaking. And that God truly speaks. And that God speaks with authority. And because of that, he is different from all the other gods of the world. In the book of Deuteronomy, uh, the Israelites are on the edge of the promised land. The whole book of Deuteronomy is a series of speeches right before the new generation of Israelites finally moves out of the wilderness and into the promised land. And in this passage that we read in Deuteronomy chapter 18, God is telling Israel that there, He will raise up a new prophet, which is good news for them because whether they have remembered or not, Moses is not going to go into the promised land with them. He's going to die right on the outside of the promised land. And so he recalls this story from their parents and their grandparents generation where they were at Mount Sinai and they saw God on the mountain in fire and smoke and his voice rumbled the mountains and they said please don't talk to us anymore this is too scary send send a prophet and God in Deuteronomy 18 says they're right to ask for this. Basically, they can't handle this. And one day I will send prophets. I will send a prophet who will listen to me. And what he says is, the reason, the way that you know that it's, it's me who sent them is that they'll speak things and they will come true. And if they do that, you should listen to that prophet. And if they say that they're speaking in my name but it doesn't come true, you should kill them. That's the penalty for false prophecy. Is the false prophet dies. But he says, My words are true, and so if the prophet speaks true words, that prophet comes from me, and I will send you a prophet so that you can hear from me. So Israel is prepared to wait for the coming of the prophets. And, and sure enough, you know, throughout the Old Testament, the prophets come. They don't come right away in the story of Israel. You have Joshua and Judges. And it's not until Samuel, really, that prophets start to come in the succession of prophets. They they come and and bring the word. Paul in 1 Corinthians is dealing with uh, a world in which God is seemingly not speaking. And part of the, the trap that the people of Corinth are trapped in is that they are living in a world of idolatry. And again and again what the, all the scriptures will say is the idols are not real. They have no eyes to see, they have no mouth to speak, they don't do anything. They're completely false. And he's here saying these are not real gods. The problem for the people in Corinth is that the temples where these gods are worshiped are one of the if not the primary source Of meat in the community. They're not vegetarian by choice. It's just that, you know, they don't have farms like we do. They don't have agriculture that has, for thousands of years, figured out how to produce more meat and more meat for a city. They very rarely have things like beef and poultry. But when they do, it's because there's feasts at the temples of these idols. And so, Paul is saying, like, look, the problem that you're facing is, look, these idols are not real. And you know that, so you want to just, like, go grab some meat from these people. But, there's still people among you who are new in the faith. And they haven't quite left the world where idols are not, where idols are real. And moved into the real world where they know that idols are just nothing. So you might actually lead somebody else to idolatry by acting on what you know to be true. So for the sake of your weak brothers and sisters, you, you should be willing to give it up. You should be willing to give it up to protect them. The idols cannot speak versus the God who can and does speak. And in the Gospel reading we see that the, per, the, the prophet that is promised in Deuteronomy chapter 18 is only in shadows in the Old Testament. But when Jesus comes in clarity, the people of Israel recognize this is a different kind of teaching. Something profoundly different is happening. Mark says, it's happening immediately. Jesus is having confrontation with demons when we say unclean spirits, when we read that, we're, we're to understand that these are demons. These are real spiritual powers that are opposed to God. And they are, in this story, possessing this man. They live inside of this man. It's real, in many ways, scary stuff. This unseen spiritual power has taken control of people in the Gospels. And Jesus' presence provokes the revelation of these demons. And so, the man who's possessed by this demon is suddenly not talking himself, but it's those demonic voices that come out of his mouth and say, in fear, we know who you are. Leave us alone. And Jesus does what? He doesn't like take some... uh, some holy water. He doesn't take a cloud of dust and blow it into his face or do some like fancy lightning magic or something like that. He speaks. And he immediately delivers the man and says, you have to leave. And it's done. And the people are in awe because Jesus speaks and teaches and his words carry authority. And it happens in the real world. Now we come to the scriptures. With the same conviction. That God is the speaking God. That God is the God who actually speaks to us. And what we acknowledge. Is that God confronts the power of evil. In the world. And in us. Now. Now. I grew up in churches where, uh, frankly, I was terrified of demons. Um, I don't know if you grew up in the kind of churches I did, but we read like Frank Peretti novels. Did you read those? This Present Darkness, Piercing the Darkness. That stuff is terrifying. And I read them when I was in like sixth grade. And so I was terrified of demons. And uh, Because I definitely went to churches that were like, you should be scared of demons. And uh, I, I would read stories like this and just be like, let's just get past this. Um, I don't want to think about that. And dear goodness, I hope that I do not get attacked by the demons or, you know, possessed like this dude in Mark chapter 1. And I think that, I know that that kind of fear is not right. That's not, Mark chapter 1 is not saying, you you know, you should be afraid of being possessed by a demon. You should not. That's not what he's that's the opposite of what he's saying. So what we can do as people who are not afraid often and, and maybe clear on the truth that you shouldn't be afraid of some demon like jumping inside of your body or something like that. We can say, This is weird, this happened a long time ago, let's skate past this. That's not quite the truth though. You should not be afraid of a demon coming and grabbing you or something like that. But you should also pay attention to what the scriptures will teach, which is that evil is real in the world. Real spiritual powers of darkness and evil. They're real. And Jesus comes to totally disarm them and to shoo them away. Demons do not have power. Evil does not have power that is in any way a rivalry to God. God speaks with authority, and what he speaks is. There is no arm-wrestling contest between God and evil, between God and the devil. Like, who will win here? It's so close. God is trying so hard. Man, I hope he wins. When God acts and he speaks, it's done. There's no contest. We have to be prepared for the reality that God is still speaking to evil in our day. And the focus of the scriptures is not to get you to be afraid of evil and to be afraid of demons. It's to say, acknowledge the reality of the world and understand that though you might in and of yourself be afraid of what you face, the God who speaks and acts through the prophet of all prophets is entirely in control. And he himself has disarmed and will vanquish the powers of darkness do not be afraid don't be ignorant or oblivious but don't be afraid the other thing that jesus will do as the prophet who's promised He is the prophet of all prophets. Prophets come to tell the truth. Prophets come to tell what God is like and what God is saying. Prophets should be listened to when they're real and they're true. Right about election time, there was a lot of prophets that existed apparently in the world. And very shortly after their prophesying, it was pretty quick uh, to see that they weren't real prophets. Because all the things that they were prophesying was going to happen were not happening. Jesus is not like them. And he is not just not like the fake ones. He is the prophet of all prophets that were real. Because Jesus has the ability to be both the one who tells the truth of what God wants to say and to be the God who was on the mountain. All the other prophets represented God. Jesus comes as a prophet who is God. And Jesus, what he does, like all prophets is he speaks to our idols. He speaks to our idolatry. And he smashes our idols. Now, you and I aren't making statues to make idols. You and I are far sneakier about our idolatry. We may not, like, bow down and pray to the things that we idolize. But our hearts bow down to them and serve them. I, I, I can very easily idolize comfort and the opinions of other people, and feeling like I'm smart or competent. And my heart will fixate on those things and love those things and protect those things. And Jesus comes and he speaks to those things. And Jesus comes to smash idols, to destroy them. That's why if you read the Gospels, people are mad at Jesus so much people of Israel idolized the idea of political freedom. And they wanted a Messiah who would come and give them that thing. That's the thing that they wanted. And Jesus came and said, that's not what I'm doing. And they crucified him for it. Because they hated him for smashing their idols. Idolatry though, Paul helps us to see what idolatry does. Idolatry keeps you from feasting. Idolatry prevents you from feasting on goodness. We love our idols because they're good things. We want to serve them because they're good things. And we are afraid of having them taken away because we don't want the good things taken away from us. But what Jesus will do is expose the fact that the thing that you think that is good is actually far worse than what God wants to give you. And so when you are bound to these gods who cannot speak or care for you or love for you, you are missing out on nourishment and delight. But, Paul helps us also to say, not only does God demolish our idols, but he is gentle with us as well. In 1 Corinthians 8, Paul does not give the instruction to the stronger believer and say, hey, pull your brother or sister aside. And smack them up the face and say, hey, get with it. Let's go get some idol food, right? He doesn't. Now, if they're weaker, they really should be moving towards strength. They should be growing in maturity to understand that they should fear the idols, not at all. But in the moment, Paul is saying, though they are weaker, have patience with them in their weakness. Deal with them kindly and walk them towards freedom. Walk them towards feasting. So Jesus exemplifies this the best. That He can come and tell the truth about where the idols are, where the evil powers are. And yet He chooses disciples who are incompetent, slow to get it. They, they, they constantly cannot see what He is saying. Constantly. And Jesus deals with us that way. He will come. He is coming for your idols. He's going to smash them. He will bring you to strength. But in your weakness, He will still be kind to you because He loves you. You are His sheep, His child, His beloved. He's not just the God who stands in front of you and says, Let's get rid of these idols. He's the God who takes off His outer garment and wraps it around Himself and he serves you. Ultimately, the authority of this prophet God is seen in the way that he acts towards his people. He speaks, and he acts. He delivers, and he saves. When we come to these texts and we hear from the prophet, a right response is for us to ask God, where am I captive or conspiring with the powers of darkness? Where have I partnered with evil in my own heart and in the world? What idols have captured me? And we should constantly be asking God to expose that to us because idolatry is not not something where we're saying, you know what I'd like to do? Be an idolater. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to worship those false gods. It sneaks into our hearts, and we make space for good things to become God. So when we are encountering the prophet constantly, prophet Jesus, king Jesus, we must ask him all the time, would you please be so kind to me, and to show me where I'm in bondage, where I am bound and kept away from the feast. This morning, the words of Jesus and the words of God are before you. And you, if you have this morning, you are sensing these places in your heart where you have conspired with those powers of darkness and given yourself over to idolatry. Jesus will be patient with you as he always has been. And he will be kind to you as he always has been. But ask him to deliver you from where you've been bound. Ask him to bring you from weakness to strength. And if you are kind of examining your own heart and saying, you know, I've treated others the way that I would not like to be treated. (laughs) And I've been impatient with those who are weak. Maybe because of some of my own other idolatry. Then confess to God that you have failed. That you've not listened to Paul in 1 Corinthians 8. And you've laid a burden on others that Jesus would not lay on your brothers and sisters. But look to Jesus... Find there the God who still speaks with power and authority and would even take you from places of weakness through his mercy to places of strength. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. We thank you for speaking to us. God, we confess to you that we have fallen short. And we're thankful this morning that you, you walk patiently and slowly with us. God, we pray that you would deliver us. That you would expose our hearts, that you would help us to see, that you would search us out and that you would know us and that you would show us where you still are doing business in our lives. God, we pray that you would help us to be faithful followers of you, conscientious followers followers of you, that we might treat our neighbors as we would like to be treated, that we ourselves would have idols stripped out of our lives as you speak to us in power. God, we thank you for revealing yourself to us. And we're thankful for your mercy. We love you, Jesus. Amen. The right response to hearing the word is to confess our sin. It says, we